Welcome to the ACO Show. So far on the podcast, you've heard from people in charge of designing policy and strategy in the world of accountable care. Today, Joe and Josh will be having a conversation with Nicholas Beralt. Nicholas is an ACO coordinator in Pennsylvania, and he has helped us understand some of the important day-to-day hard work that goes into keeping an accountable care organization functioning at the local level. And here are your hosts, Joe, Josh, take it away. We've had the chance to talk to a number of people here who've been involved at every level of the accountable care transformation in healthcare. People who came up with the idea of ACOs, people who started implementing ACOs, people who do the contracts for value-based uh, initiatives. And today we have the privilege of talking to somebody who is really at the ground level with their finger on the pulse of what's happening in accountable care here at Allidade. So Nicholas Brawl, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So one of the things I love about not just this podcast, but the whole company is the range of stories of how people come to be doing what they're doing currently. And yours is one of my favorite. Uh, And I think that it's, uh, I won't say unique, but the kind of thing that we really see in the startup space. So I'd love if you took me through uh, your first roles here at Allidade all the way to what you're doing today. All right, here we go. So uh, I started out as the third member of the fellows program here at Allidade uh, back in February of 2016. It was actually leap year day, February 2016. So I'll never forget that one. But came on to uh, just sort of learn about healthcare, learn about accountable care, and uh, try to find my way in a young company that was kind of from the start, I could tell, was was going places. Um, I had no healthcare background. Um, I graduated with a PR degree, minored in business, was in sales before I came to Allidade, and really was looking for a change. So when I came to Allidade, it was with the stipulation that I was starting from square one and just going to work hard and try to learn everything I could from all the very, very smart people that work here. Uh, we had some turnover in one of our markets in West Virginia, and um, one of our directors formally uh, asked me to step into some sort of a coordinator role, and I was really, really nervous, to put that lightly. Uh, I, again, starting from zero and didn't know what I was getting into really, but I was looking across the table at someone who had confidence in me, and that, I guess, made me feel a little more confident. So. Dove in headfirst uh, in West Virginia, uh, meeting with all the practices, all the physicians, um, getting to know each of their office managers and their clinical staff and their support staff, and trying to basically uh, get myself integrated into a market that was already very active. Ended up getting shared savings in that year, um, but I just kind of joined midway through, trying to keep things going in the right direction. So. I didn't fail there, I guess you could say. Uh, They still got shared savings. Um, That ACO is still 
as strong as ever. And I was sort of in a position after that where once they hired some more staff in West Virginia on a permanent basis, um, because I had just moved from Philadelphia to Washington for this job, um, they asked me to go work in Philadelphia and help launch the Philadelphia ACO. So pretty much turn right back around from where I came from. And the rest is kind of history there, at least up to current date. in July of that year, we were launching two ACOs, two large organizations, very complex, um, multi-specialty practices that was sort of Allidate's first foray into the larger than couple doc independent practice. Um, same model, just on a much larger scale and had like a corporate office that ran operations and quality programs, things like that. So um, launched those ACOs, was kind of put in a position where I could continue launching other ACOs around the country or stick with Pennsylvania and Allidade's growth in that state. Uh, And that's what I chose to do. So since then, uh, we launched another ACO in 2018, which we are coming to the end of that performance year now, um, and then are continuously recruiting. And uh, we're up to five PTSs now. Um, You want to explain what a a PTS is? I should, yeah. So... uh, Each of our markets have an executive director who oversees operations, who liaises with um, the key folks here at Allidate HQ and Bethesda. Um, The coordinator role is sort of helping to work with the director on the initiatives and prioritizing which ones we're actually implementing at the practice level. And then I, as the coordinator, work with our practice transformation specialists who are experts at working with clinical staff, with administrative staff and, and practices Um, a lot of whom are uh, licensed clinical folks themselves, nurses, um, MAs, coders, and uh, those are the people who day in and day out are visiting practices, working with doctors, and um, sort of getting the actual change that Allidate hopes to see in the primary care and just healthcare world uh, to come about on a day in and day out basis. Um, They're really the folks that uh, have their finger on the pulse. I... uh, I would definitely give them that recognition over the coordinator role. I I spend plenty of time out in the field and and I enjoy that very much, but I rely heavily on my PTSs to build those relationships at the practice level, to know the ins and outs of what's going on uh, at a practice, whether it's clinical related to the practice or just in general, if it has an effect on the practice operations inside or outside of the office, um, our PTSs are pretty good at finding out that information and conveying that to us in a way that helps us model the way that we work with them to where it's going to have positive outcomes at the practice level. You alluded a bit to the structure of how Allidate is set up with an executive director and then a coordinator and then practice transformation specialists. Can you speak a little bit more about what it is you do day to day as a coordinator? And I know the answer for everybody at Allidate is a little bit of everything, but if you could give us some sense of what, what your day looks like. Yeah, I, I try to interact with... Um, if not every member of my team every day, at least, like, you know, I'll, I'll try to talk to my boss, the executive director, um, every day. I'll, I'll try to talk to the PTSs and just get a feel for um, where they are on a day in and day out basis. Uh, as far as working with the medical director, uh, that clinical call schedule is pretty rigorous. And there's, uh, on a monthly basis, this medical director is having, you know, short phone calls with providers in each of our Allidade practices. We call those clinical calls. Um, and I'm helping prepare uh, the doctor for, uh, sorry, the medical director for that call as far as preparing data and 
um, giving them a quick packet of information that will show you know where this practice is trending um, as far as allied initiatives are. Um, also reminding those doctors that they have a call with our medical director is a big piece of making those happen. Uh, they're busy people and uh, I think the biggest part of my job is helping to keep everybody on the same page, moving towards the same goal, but helping to tweak that um, actual workflow that we are doing and we are helping to implement in the practices to reach that goal no matter where these practices are on the value-based care spectrum. Nicholas, it sounds like you're putting the coordinate in coordinator uh, in this role, making the trains run. Try to. Uh, You know, I've, in describing the ACO structure to people who may not be as familiar with Allidate, I've always thought of each market as like its own company and the ED at the CEO level and then the coordinator, like a COO, managing um, heavy operational demands, liaising, I love the, the use of that word there, um, between all the moving parts where the executive director as a CEO sets that broader strategy looking forward. Is that a reasonable analogy, you think? I think so, yeah. And, and at the same time, you work with a lot of different people you know at the Allidate headquarters level who are fitting into that puzzle wherever they can you know there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes here at Allidate headquarters that um, on a day-to-day level at the practice uh, you know meeting with these practices we need to find the way to translate a lot of that information so typically the way that uh, an initiative, if if you will, so preventative visits or um, chronic care management, uh, specialty utilization and referral management, or end of life care. Um, the way that a lot of these initiatives find their way into an individual market, at least in my experience, is you know the executive director becomes aware of uh, uh, this new initiative that's mm-hmm. going to take place, or you know be measured at the allocated level, and then. You know, we gather as a team. Uh, you know, I guess we, you know, we do have a structure. And if you want to do like the CEO COO thing, it does, in some ways, make sense. But at least in Pennsylvania, we really operate on a one level it's for flatter. all of us. So if a practice has a question, they could call my boss. They could call me. They could call the practice transformation specialist. Um, it really, we try to have a presence at each of the practices where they understand that no matter the situation, they can reach out to any one of us. And each of us on the team is aware of what's going on top to bottom as, as much as we can. You know, we're all busy people, but when we're having something that's pushed out from HQ, for example, um, we will gather as a team and then formulate a plan. And like I said, you know, catering that to each of the practices needs and challenges um you know if a, you know some of these practices their providers are spending you know three quarters of the time in the practice they're spending the rest at a nursing home um it, it really needs to be translated almost like you know you you take the out of the box goal that Allidate has for these practices in a certain initiative and you repackage that on an individual basis and it does, I guess, filter down from the top down, but I think in Pennsylvania, we do a really, really uh, good job of making sure that all of the information is conveyed to every member of the team 
And same thing at the practice level. You know, we want to know each little individual change or nuance of every practice. It really helps us understand the market and then conversations at different levels. Um, you'd be surprised how much those little intricacies of each practice can come into play. And um, so, yes, there is that structural um, foundation for our team, but I think we do a really good job of uh, incorporating every member in almost every conversation that we can if possible. So I had, a, I had a coach in high school who used to say every team has to have something to hang their hat on when they're trying to do something, especially something hard. So, you know, you're trying to turn around a football team. You have to have a, a superstar quarterback or a thousand-yard rusher sure. or a, a really top prospect linebacker. I was none of those things. I was going to say, which one were you? I was none of those things. Uh, but I love the sentiment of that. And, you know, clearly you feel like you work on a, a high-performing team that's trying to do something really hard. And in those scenarios, when you go into those practices, dealing with that whole spectrum of engagement from providers, what do you hang your hat on? Like, what do you guys, what's your go-to to shift these folks from purely volume-based to doing something different, thinking about it differently? Now that we've seen some of those folks who initially um, were detractors, if we want to call it that, sort of have the light bulb moment where they saw that we were coming into their practice as not just a partner who was trying to use the practice for our own good, but also to help them improve, help them take better care of their patients, and also help them keep their doors open. That really makes it all worth it. And earlier, early on, it was very hard. Like I remember being getting back into my car after a visit with a specialist provider who uh, we were trying to just kind of broach the subject um, of value-based care and just kind of thinking like, why did I even walk in there today? That was, that was stupid. Like I just got crushed. It was a waste of my time. I know he felt like it was a waste of his time. Um, but I think with anything that you're trying to do related to change, you kind of got to take your lumps a little bit. And truly, it is rewarding when you can go into a practice who you remember, you know, the bad times, so to speak, of, man, this really, like, I could not almost think about this being possible when I first came here. And now um, I'm at a practice that is thriving, who used to, you know, not be able to, you know, pay a bill in a certain month. Mm -hmm. And... Because of that, it just makes me want to push harder on those folks who may push back initially. I know uh, our medical director, Dr. John Toronto in Pennsylvania, uh, he's a unique guy. He, he prefers like the provider in the meeting to get up and just like, you know, forget this, <laughs> like you're full of it. There's no way this is gonna work. He would rather have that than to have someone sit there passively ignore the entire presentation, talk, conversation, discussion, whatever it is, um, and then go back to whatever they were doing like it never even happened. He would rather have that guy go head to head with them. That's interesting, right? That, you know, they say that, that the opposite of love is indifference, right? So like, at least that guy's engaged. Right, he cares about something. Mm -hmm. He cares about his practice. You know, she cares about taking care of her patients, and, and but maybe she doesn't want to change at that time. It really, um, 
there's again, there's a full spectrum, but having that person who is willing to engage you on it, you know that if you can speak their language, that they'll be someone you can count on. Yeah, no, I really like thinking about that. They're not just showing up at work, phoning it in. They they care. Right. They care enough to disagree. And so I try I try to channel that same energy when I'm uh, you know in a difficult situation. And are there areas that are always tough? Always consistently full of uh, uh, challenges and friction and pitfalls? I don't think you're going to get uh, 100% of the time. At least I don't think I have in my experience. But um, asking a practice to invest in itself initially to make some of these changes is often a pretty tough conversation. Um, for example, chronic care management um, you know, is a program where we uh, work with the practices to empower them to wrap their arms around their highest risk patients, the folks that are really in need of care, not only when they're seeing their doctor, you know, in this case, five, six, seven times a year, but also when they're, you know, at home and, you know, need more support outside of just seeing their provider, getting their medications refilled um, and getting whatever their prognosis is, you know, seeing what tests they have to get that year. So asking a practice to to reinvest in itself where you're trying to get to those high-risk patients to enroll them in a program like chronic care management, but it takes manpower. It takes someone to roll up their sleeves, to have a conversation with a patient of, hey, I really think you could benefit from interacting with a practice, interacting with me personally as your care manager, you know, twice a month mm-hmm. for, for some time on the phone. I just want to... Uh, basically build a plan with you to make sure that we can reach your goals. You know, you've been to the emergency room eight times in the past year. I would love for you to be home more than going to the emergency room. Did you know that the practice was open until 8 p.m. on Fridays now? Um, Even uh, trying to convince a practice that starting a new program and you know, putting an upfront investment in an RN who's going to be spending 40 hours a week enrolling and outreaching to patients and calling home health agencies on their behalf to, um, you know, get them enrolled in a program that could help them have a more sustainable life and just be, we call it home and happy right here at Allidate. So that is often tough if you are a single provider practice. Those conversations are always uh, for me, like very, very delicate because I understand the impact to the practice. I, I have the, I guess, benefit, if you call it that, of seeing how that could pay off in the long run, but it's not my money. So that's an easy conversation for me to have with them. So I think asking someone to invest in the future of their practice is often uh, a difficult conversation. And that was a pretty long-winded way of explaining it. No, I think that's that really drives home the challenges that uh, a small to medium-sized practice face. You know, no different than any other business of a similar size with a similar payroll and overhead demands, mm-hmm. uh, but in a very highly regulated industry uh, with a lot of standards they have to meet and uncertain cash flows. You know, so there's a lot of business forces that. Um, practices aren't always well suited to tackle, um, particularly if they're mostly worried about treating their patients. Right. So we talk about supporting small practices, and you've mentioned some of these ways, but when you try to boil it down for providers, either people who are thinking about it or if you're talking to skeptics, you know, what, what is it you say 
confidently that you bring to the table to really help a, a small physician thrive in business? I think one thing from a provider standpoint, if you're an independent provider, uh, they have people coming in and out of their office all the time, pitching them the latest and greatest thing in healthcare. And trying to convey the message of, you know, this is our background as a company. This is our mission. Here's where we have implemented it so far. And here are the success that these other providers have seen. Um, while noting that if the providers that we work with don't succeed, neither does Allidate as a company. Um, if you're talking to a provider who is driven by you know keeping their doors open and you know some of the financial reasons of joining an ACO, uh, that tends to have an impact. Uh, if you're talking about more the patient care aspect, um, we have some pretty good stories from a care manager, for example, of patients who uh, whose lives have completely changed because they had someone in their moment of need who was able to, you know, and sometimes save their lives and sometimes just, you know, prevent them from an unnecessary visit to the ER, which may or may not have resulted in a hospitalization that didn't need to occur. Um, it, it does help sometimes to have those actual real life anecdotes mm-hmm. to connect to a provider who 99.9% of the time has a patient they can think of in their head as we're telling the story about you know someone in Arkansas who had a different experience and, and because of it the patient had a better outcome. Um, I think Allidade does a really good job of appealing to the different motivations that providers have. We, we really try to blend that like trilogy of you know good for docs good for patients and good for society. How would you define value-based care? In as much a, uh, you know, a regular vernacular as you could. This is kind of like answering the question that when my family asked me, what does Allidade do? Exactly. <laughs> That's why we have the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> for our mothers. Oh, okay. All right. Hey, mom. <laughs> um, value-based care. Uh, I've heard it described as, uh, you know, like the the right care for the right patient at the right time. Um, At the primary care level, I think it's just giving um, a provider the workflows, the capabilities to care for a patient in their hour of need. And that may be before the patient knows it's their hour of need, like being proactive about scheduling them for a preventative visit. Um, Having someone in place to call someone when they're coming out of the hospital and saying, hey, this is your primary care office. We would really like to see you. We heard you're in the hospital. How are you feeling? Um, I think it's helping the doctors practice medicine the way they want to practice medicine and doing the work behind the scenes so that the patients feel the effect of better healthcare because of that better medicine that's being practiced or because of the better workflows that are taking place at the practice level. You know, we've been asking all our guests. We haven't talked about it ourselves. How do you define value-based care, Joe? Yeah, Joe. Oh, man, I wasn't, I haven't prepped for <laughs> Funny this Funny how that works. All. I haven't prepped for this at all. Uh, I think it's as simple as paying for the outcomes and not for just the sheer volume of what you're doing so not just doing something but doing something and then getting uh, the outcome that was intended 
um, reconciling physician behavior, patient interactions with the way many other things are compensated and funded. Um, you know, if Allidaid uh, failed as a company, God forbid, or any other startup fails, they don't continue to make money and get funded. So you have to uh, be accountable for that process. So that's how I see it. Fairly simple, straightforward terms. Um, interestingly, not to, I will ask you, Josh, but I was listening to another podcast. Because I was asking you, I had some time to prepare mentally. And that's good. That's a, that's a varsity maneuver. Well played. Well yeah. played, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was uh, listening to a podcast about uh, blockchain in healthcare, if I'm giving myself away as a total nerd. Uh, but I think um, at this point that defines you as behind the curve, not ahead. <laughs> we talk well, about blockchain now. <laughs> that's what you think. Yeah, you don't know. Uh, <laughs> So the uh, the guest on this show uh, runs a company in the UK that uses blockchain smart contracts for uh, pharmaceutical contracts. So you're basically a value-based contract within the pharma community. So if your drug or injectable or whatever it is um, is intended to have a six-month mortality improvement for somebody with a, a, a very serious cancer, um, if the drug doesn't do that in the aggregate, the company gets paid less money. Mm-hmm. And they measure that via outcomes into this blockchain-based smart contract, um, and it just sort of trips the, the, the wires, so to speak, so they get paid X amount based on uh, y outcome. Uh, it was really interesting. I mean, it was um, the the podcast was all uh, the, the host was in Europe and the guest was in Europe, so they don't they were completely unfamiliar with the U.S. system. So I was really intrigued to see value based care as the tagline in the notes. But I thought, wow, what an intri- what a very functional way to think about value based care um, at every stage of the medical process. And involving the tech side in it too, I think, the as we see more integration of that, hearing a story about someone doing something completely revolutionary and holding themselves accountable for you know their technology too, in addition to the care that's being provided, that's pretty awesome. I know. I thought it was really like I I was very intrigued in reading it, and even more so when I heard about it, to think, oh, I wonder if we would be willing to take on that like as soon as the data goes in automated feed if you hit a certain number then that payment comes out i guess it would be dependent on the payer which in for many of our practices is uh medicare Mm -hmm. um but yeah i wonder if we'll ever see anything automated like that but it was yeah definitely an interesting an interesting uh take on value-based care josh yeah so for me it's that the entire system is really focused around the patient's health, whether the patient stays healthy or gets healthy, that there's no incentive in the system for doing anything unnecessary, and that the provider will get paid more or less depending on the patient's health outcome. That's that's really why I came to Allidade. That's value-based healthcare to me. Basically the same as what I said. Yeah, pretty much. Without a blockchain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nicholas, it's been really interesting, and I appreciate your take on uh, the really what makes our work here possible. Uh, so thanks for everything you're doing and uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for being out there in the field making this happen. Oh, I love it. That's the best part. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Thank you.